This week, off screen. We get some insight into the Black Panther's Vanguard of the Revolution. The end is nigh with paranormal activity, the ghost dimension. Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn enjoy the Mississippi grind. Ed Oxenbold throws some paper planes. And Vin Diesel is the last witch hunter. All those to come and more off screen. This is. This is off screen. Off screen. The latest film news and reviews. This is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen. I'm Van Connor. My name is Case Allen. Your name is in fact Case Allen. I can confirm. It is. This. It says that on my driver's license. Does it? Yeah, oh, it does. Okay. So, right, we start then this week with the Last Witch Hunter, of mm. which Vin Diesel is is said Last Witch Hunter. <laughs> he is the eponymous last one. Yeah. He's the eponymous last one. Okay, so the general gist. You might think this is based on a comic book, by the way. It isn't. No. It is not. This is a completely original property. Do you remember those? Uh, yeah, I, I've heard rumours. I've about heard rumours. I think yeah. the last one we had was probably well, Tomorrowland was one. Did yeah, and that, that did really well, didn't it? Box office. <laughs> That's the joke. So yes, <laughs> so this is an original story. The uh, what you've got is Vin Diesel as a character named Calder. He is one of a set of thirteenth-century witch hunters. So you know he's not the last one at this stage. Mm. He man, he and his tribe managed to corner the witch queen. That is her full name, by the way. We okay. never give a name on that. And uh, as she is, as she takes them all out, Vin Diesel finally manages to drive the killing stake through her. But as one last act of vengeance, she grants him with immortality the ultimate curse. Now, flash forward 800 years, he's in the present day. He's in 21st century New York, driving Aston Martin, no less, and looking like Vin <laughs> Diesel. And apparently, as the movie begins, he's been on holiday to Abu Dhabi as well. So life is fairly Probably sweet. Probably filming a fast film. Exactly. You almost think like they got him on the way home from filming. Yeah. So, where we are now is a new stage of sort of uh, societal evolution where human beings exist unknowingly alongside this secret war, a la Blade, if you mm. know what I mean, in which uh, the witches police themselves effectively, and uh, the only uh, contingent agreement they have to subscribe to is the idea that no human beings are ever harmed, or indeed really discover the existence of magic. When they step out of line, guess who steps in to take them down? Down, or, or say to take them down to, to, to bring them to the witch council. The witch council? The witch council. Who all look like sort of 80s backing dancers, which I think is actually nice. a joke made in the film. Mm. And uh, one day, when his, uh, his Dolan, as they're called, which is sort of priest slash handler slash historical chronicler slash token Michael Caine role, when his <laughs> Dolan is killed or murdered, when his Dolan is murdered, uh, Vin Diesel's Calder starts to investigate and discovers, would you not know it? Something bigger is afoot, and it may tie into the very origins of Calder himself. Here's a clip. So you're the new guy. We've actually met before, a long time ago. See that cornerstone? I watched him lay it in when this was nothing more than a cornfield. That was a long time ago. I pledge my life and loyalty to you as the 37th Dolan. I swear to help you carry out your duty to the... When they were building this city, construction crews discovered a mass gravesite 60 feet below ground, filled with thousands of forgotten slaves. Know what they did? No. Work by night filled the hole and kept building. 
There are shades of evil everywhere. So the last witch hunter is basically as exactly as stupid as you think it's going to be. Good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's kind of weird. So on the one hand, you have the sort of we're in the real world, but mm. we're using guns on supernatural creatures style of Constantine. You have the secret society, the secret supernatural society mm. element of Blade. Blade, and then in the middle of it, you have this storyline which seems to be an attempt to add grit to the Sorcerer's Apprentice. And there is actually one of the one of the mainstream reviews for this has said the only surprise I got from the last witch hunter was that it didn't star Nicolas Cage. Um, the answer is this is slightly too coherent for Nicolas Cage. Could have been a season honest. like a season of a witch follow up. <laughs> kind of yeah. really would have been a good one. Um, Vin Diesel. It must be said, I, I can't. I still can't decide after having seen this film whether or not Vin Diesel can actually carry a movie outside of the Fast and Furious franchise. Vin Diesel is a movie star as long as he's within that assigned and specific role. Mm. This film does not you know, clear up those muddy waters any more than, no. you, already, than you already think it would. Um, it's got a solid, solid enough supporting cast. Uh, you've got Rose Leslie. That is her name, by yes, the way. I did look it up. Yes. Rose Leslie, a.k.a. <laughs> Mrs. You Know Nothing Jon Snow. Mrs. You Know Nothing Jon Snow. And everyone, everyone came out of the screen. Oh, it's Idris from Game of Thrones, Idris. Uh, okay. Igrit. Igrit, 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 sorry, Igrit, not Idris, that's Elba. Yeah, Luke. Um, yeah. DCI. And then you've got uh, Elijah Wood, who's playing mm. that Elijah Wood sort of orgy shucks role that he does so well. <laughs> that he did in Cooties last week. <laughs> you, yeah. do, you do have that sort of socially acceptable Will Wheaton uh, yeah, parallel that he draws. Mm. I, I, am the, I am the cute face of Will Wheaton, that sort of performance <laughs> that he brings in. And then you've got Michael Caine, who plays Michael Caine. As, as you yeah. expect him to. Okay, and as a priest. Exactly. The dialogue is 95% exposition. Like, literally, you haven't seen anyone run into this many rooms and yell exposition since the last one of those Dan Brown adaptations. Right. <laughs> you know, that was all Tom, Cru- <laughs> Tom Hanks Tom did. He runs into rooms. Oh, well, this is where the witch of the Mildy Tree lives, and in order to take down the... You need the, the, the sap of the Mildy Tree to meld with Wolfsbane, and you put it in this magical lance of the Persephone, and you... And you what? This is gibberish at best. Yeah. I mean, and we got we got another one of those films to look forward to next year. Are we which one now? Uh, Inferno. Oh god, where he's got amnesia. Yes, yeah. yes, we have that to look forward to. Isn't that with uh, Felicity Jones as well? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so it's not all bad. So, yeah, the film is awful. Uh, Brack Eis- <laughs> Eisner, who, of course, famously uh, brought us... Not Hercules, is it? Uh, the Crazies, that was it. Yeah. He brought us The Crazies. I thought Crazies was okay. <laughs> right, well, he's Bad. taken this up to an almost... That, that Ramstein level of video music... <laughs> uh, music video. In XXX. Yeah. yeah. He, he's done that with this, and his choppy editing has reached such a stage where when there are actual action sequences, and there are about every ten minutes... Uh, you can't see the end result. Mm. At one point, Vin... I mean, literally, the movie ends with Vin Diesel taking out the you know the, the big, gribbly, gobbly, or whatever it is, and you don't really see how he did it. Like, what? That doesn't... N- n- no. You're like, oh, do you know what? It was 90 minutes, and I was basically entertained. Who cares? I mean, every the scenes with uh, Vin Diesel and Michael Caine, for, they are agonising to sit through. Really? <laughs> they really are. How are you doing, kid? You know, because he's immortal. So, mm. Michael Caine's like... Yes, this is why we are great friends, kid. I keep telling you to go out and live your life. Well, when you get to be my age, kid, 
You're like, oh, shut up, Vin. He, he says kid more times than Garrett Headland. He, he yeah. really does. He really does. Yeah, he, he's on par with Garrett Headland, the kid. Uh, anyway, so it is It is dross. Uh, you can save a lot of time by just watching Constantine again. Um, or just go watch The Sorcerer's Apprentice and have more fun. And Please watch Sorcerer's That's a great film. Watch Sorcerer's Apprentice anyway, because it was the last time Nicolas Cage was really great, I think. Yeah, and, just having uh, a really good time. Yeah, I mean, there is a reason he is the last witch hunter. And this quite possibly could be the last Witch Hunter movie, so yeah. we'll, we'll leave it. No, no more franchises for Vin. <laughs> no more franchises for Vin. No more franchises for that man. <laughs> so should we have a look at the uh, the film news for the week then? Yeah, we've, let's we've do it. Some some rather interesting ones. Uh, I this think week so. Well. Yeah. So uh, let's start with the Babysitter. This is the McGee thing. Yes. Yeah, this is the dark comedy from McGee. He's making mm. this for New Line. And this uh, earlier in the week, uh, Robbie Amell signed on. To star in it, you know, mm. I like him. We watched the Duff together last we did, weekend, yeah. didn't we? and and we had a lot of fun. Merriment was had. Yeah, merriment was had by all. And uh, well, he's now signed on to uh, McGee's new line dark comedy. Cool. Is he going to be like the, the like main guy, the lead? I, I believe he'd be a love interest type. A love interest. Okay. Um, but of course, he's now been upstaged by none other than Bella Thorne. Bella Thorne, who sounds really? like she was named for a young adult novel, hmm. has joined. The, she does, doesn't she? <laughs> like one like the Twilight offshoots. Yeah, you just feel like it's because her surname's Thorne. Yeah. <laughs> just think. Well, her parents, name is Bella as well. Yeah, were your parents reading a lot of young adult novels? <laughs> just, she sounds like she should be the main character of, in her own name. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Uh, so she's now signed on as well. She won't be the title character. She won't be the babysitter. That will be Samara Weaving instead, who I must confess I'm, I'm not overly familiar with. She oh. has been in something recently, because I, I knew the name. Yeah. But uh, not enough to know who the hell she was. So, right, In the meanwhile as well. Oh, Live By Night. Yeah, very, very, very excited for this. Yeah, I am as well. Dennis Lehane adaptation. Yeah. It's going to be directed by Batfleck. Bat yep. By Batfleck. Mm. It's going to be produced by Batfleck. It's going to be mm. written by Batfleck. And it's going to star Batfleck. Yeah. And, well, now it's also going to star Chris Cooper as well. Mm. Now, I like Please. this. Oh. Yeah, now, I've not so read the good. book. I confess I've not read the book. I keep meaning to, and it's something that uh, I, I feel very guilty for. Mm. I've read a few, about half of Dennis Lehane's uh, ones that have become films, and uh, I've not read Live My Night yet. And when I looked into the character that Chris Cooper will be playing, which is of a, Flor- a Tampa, Florida sheriff whose daughter is an intingent part of the plot... Then I suddenly became very, yeah. very intrigued because if anyone's going to make that work, it is it's Chris Cooper. It's the part who was born to play. There is a guy on TV at the moment yeah. in a series called Scandal. Oh, <laughs> does, does Cassie watch Scandal? Uh, like, yeah, religiously. 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 I'm a big fan of Scandal. I watch it in the gym every Friday morning and, and the excessive number of, of love scenes do creep out a lot of mm. the old people on the treadmills behind me. But uh, <laughs> you know, but there is a, a guy in that series who looks exactly like Chris Cooper. Incredible. He just looks like he just looks just like, like a pound shop, Chris Cooper. He is. He's like Chris Cooper in twenty years, and he plays the character of Cyrus on on Scandal. But uh, that's that's neither here nor there. Let's move on then to another review. Um, Mississippi Grind. Shall we take Mississippi Grind Let's on? Let's do this. Yeah. So, so uh, Deadpool and uh, Ben Mendelsohn, who I love. I love Ben Mendelsohn. So Deadpool and the guy we just demanded was in a Star Wars movie, whether or not he made any. Yeah, sense. it's, it's going to happen. <laughs> Did you know? Like he, he kind of is, isn't he? I thought he is. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he, he is. is. He wasn't though, and everyone just demanded it to the point that he is now he is in now Rogue happened. One. Yeah. So Ben Mendelsohn, who I didn't really notice until I think we had The Dark Knight Rises and Starred Up mm. in a very short space of time, and he was in both. And yeah. He makes an impression. He's a very good actor. Um, so we now have Mississippi Grind, which is uh, the latest effort from the duo who brought us Half Nelson. 
which I presume is a film you you know, love. The uh, film, <laughs> yeah. I, I, shocker! I, I, I'm shocked. I, yeah. I will feign my shock that you are a fan of Half Nelson. It, it well, it stars a character who dresses entirely like you are right now. So that is the truth. It, it yeah. kind, of, kind of adds up. Did he also wears flannel shorts and short dress, uh, flannel shirts and short? I think dresses. that is the only kind of comparison I will get to Ryan Gosling in my entire life. You don't eat cereal either, then. <laughs> Never. <laughs> so uh, this is a this is a, a from the duo who brought us uh, half Nelson. So Ben Mendelsohn is Jerry. He is a degenerate middle-aged gambler, estranged from his wife and daughter. And one day he happens upon a young man named Curtis, played by Ryan Reynolds. And wouldn't you know it, Curtis is the most charming gambler you've ever <laughs> met in your life. But he's also something of a good luck charm uh, for for Jerry. And so it's seeking to uh, repay the mounting pile of debts against him, uh, Jerry enlists Curtis to go on a road trip with him to New Orleans in order to use the obtained luck to try his uh, try his chances and pay off said debts. But along the way, well, they're going to learn a lot about each other and themselves. Here's a clip. I can never last through those tournaments. I, uh, why'd you buy in? I like people. Yeah? <laughs> you should stuck around. You're a good player. For a few hours, maybe, but I, I, I don't have the stamina for poker. I gotta ask you. What? How old was I old? Yeah. Yeah. A pair of deuces. Really? That's it. That's all? That's all. Because I'm usually good at reading people, right? But you're all over the map. I can't spot your toe. You wanna know why? Yeah. yeah. I don't care about winning. I just like to play. <laughs> I really do. How come I've never seen you before? Just passing through. Where are you headed? New Orleans. Oh, man, I love New Orleans. Me too. What, you just headed down to New Orleans for the hell of it? Pretty much. That sounds all right. So are you a Mendelssohn fan? Yes. You, you are. I mean, what, what's, yeah. your, what's your Mendelssohn, go-to Mendelssohn role? Uh, startup is great. Um, it's in a film called Animal Kingdom, which is oh, really, right. yeah, really, really great Australian film. Um, he's but, Australian. Uh, Place Beyond the Pines. Yeah, yeah, he's Aussie. Oh, I always yeah. think he's English for some reason. Though. I don't know why. What was that Jude Law submarine? Black Sea. That was the was one. I was trying to remember. He just kind of pops up and makes everything 12% better. Twelve, exactly twelve percent exactly, better. Exactly 12%. I am a very big fan of uh, of Ben Mendelsohn, I must say. Um, and it is Black Sea. That's what I'm trying to think of. And I need I really to see Black Sea again. Film. Actually, yeah. the Black Sea is noxic at depth. <laughs> God bless you, Jude Law, yeah. and your terrible Scottish accent. That's why it's okay for you. He can't really do any other accent apart from charming, affable British guy, can he? No, not really. No, no not really. Do we do we need much more from our uh, no. our Jude Law performances? Though? I no. don't think we need terribly much more. <laughs> so, um, say so you've got two terrific performances at the centre of this uh, from Mendelssohn and Reynolds, and they benefit from an excellent script, which um, basically it, it rounds out their their relationship very well, and it allows them to play. In fact, play very well off of one another. Uh, it's a relationship you can invest in quite heavily. You will, you wholeheartedly buy it, and you move along. So every every bump and and you know knock that this relationship takes, you feel and you're affected by it. And you think, yes, these two are great. Ryan Reynolds hasn't been this good in years. I haven't seen Ryan Reynolds put his performance with this much effort since Buried. And that's the second that's time in a fortnight I've mentioned that. Yeah, one. it is. When, when are you going to talk about it next week? Oh, we'll find it It's going to be a weekly feature. <laughs> when we're reviewing Spectre next week, we'll talk about it. We'll drop it in. Yeah. We'll, we'll drop it in. Token buried reference. And um, there are issues with it. I mean, it seems to be underdeveloped outside of the, uh, the, the, the central duo, outside of Curtis and Jerry, Mendelssohn and Reynolds. Um, the film doesn't seem wholeheartedly well developed. It seems like a lot of ideas have been put in and then just 
drop by the wayside. Outside of Sienna Miller's character, for instance, there are no fully developed supporting characters in here. And Annalee Tipton turns up at one point as a sort of potential love interest for Jerry. And there seems to be a lot of setup in that character that never builds to or pays off on anything. Hmm. And you, you, you kind of feel a bit confused as to why was that... Was that just a, an oversight in editing? Were you meant to leave that out? Where? I'm confused. And not just because it's, you know, a crime in my eyes to waste the talents of Annalee Tipton. She is great. She is great. I enjoy Annalee Tipton on screen. Um, but uh, she's one of the better things about Luke Besson's Lucy. But, uh, you know, aside from that, in the end, you will take away the stylish direction and you will take away those two performances from Ryan Reynolds and Ben Mendelsohn. And to be fair, you don't really need much more. This has no mainstream appeal anyway. It is a slow burn character drama. There's no mainstream appeal in this. So you think, okay, if as long as I'm getting great direction, as long as I'm getting those two great performances, and I'm vaguely satisfied by the end of it, why not? What what's what's not to what's not to love from that? So yeah. So some more film news then before we carry. Do you have anything to report this week? Anything caught your eye? Um, the Oscars. Oh yes. Let's talk about this because we actually watched the Oscars. You and I. Yeah. <laughs> not every, this last every... year. We did the year before. Yeah, we did the year before, but um, yeah. Okay, this so, is where I discovered that your fiance is very militant about how you behave whilst watching the Oscars. Yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah. You have to behave. You have to like set all of your predictions about a half hour beforehand. Do the, the memoriam's on. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Bet Midler is singing. Everybody, Bet Midler is singing. You show your respect. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so they have uh, just announced who will be hosting next year. Yes, and it is a return. Uh, Chris Rock. Chris Rock, are you yeah. happy about that? I'm happy about that. I quite enjoyed him uh, when he last hosted. It was about 10 years ago. I think it was 2005. Maybe? I think it was 2005. Yeah, yeah, it was a year before Jon Stewart did it for... I feel kind of I never watched any of the Jon Stewart ones. I feel kind of bad for that. They were so good. But I would imagine they would be. Um, yeah. My thing with that one as well is it's kind of interesting to me. The produ- the guy who's running the Oscars now, the producer of it, mm. was also a producer on Everybody Hates Chris. Yeah, well, it's interesting, that, isn't it? Yeah, a little yeah. bit of nepotism in there, but no, it's so, Chris Rock. I'm I sure was hoping that Key and Peele were going to be doing it. That would have been amazing. Maybe we'll get the Emmys first and then see how they can prove themselves. And, and isn't then... it Tina Fey and Amy Poehler get the Globes? Is that how it works? They get the Globes every year. Every year. <laughs> because they're just that damn good, that's why. Yeah, but I'm, I'm fine with him taking a bit of a chance. Well, that actually was on my list, but now you've taken it, so Take damn you. Uh, speaking of people who are very good at their job, Peyton Reed. We yeah. must talk about Peyton Reed, who did such a good job uh, Bring bringing, bringing Ant-Man <laughs> to fruition after development hell, it would seem. Mm. Well, less development hell and more the hippie wants to drag his heels for half a decade. And then he gave us what has turned out to be one of Marvel's better regarded films. Yeah. Who'd have thunk it? So Ant-Man obviously turned out to be a phenomenal success. We're now getting a sequel, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And wouldn't you know it, Peyton Reed is returning to direct it, which makes him one of only five directors to direct more than one of the MCU. Uh, Favreau, Whedon, uh-huh. um, the Russos. The Russos, come on. Who's ben. the other? Oh. Oh, oh, are, we, are we including Peyton Reed? Or? Uh, Peyton Reed's one of five, so you've got three. Plus Peyton Reed's four. Oh, Who's God. the fifth? It's somebody really obvious as well, isn't it's it? It's someone really obvious because we all adore his film. And I met him and he's a damn nice chap. He's a hyperactive chap, but James Gunn. Oh my God. Well, it's not come out yet, so... <laughs> it's not come out yet. Well, neither's Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> oh, I thought it was an existing film. <laughs> not an existing film, you suck. <laughs> Right, so on to the next review then. Should we do oh should we do paranormal uh, paranormal inactivity, the ghost dimension? 
In 3D. In 3D. Yeah, let's let's do it. Okay, so... Set, set, set me up the plots, man. Right, so here's the plot case. There's this family, right? And they move into this house, yeah? Yeah, I got and, it. And when, and when they're in there, yeah, what happens is, right, mm. there's these ghosts, right, yeah? And, Have you slipped and, into your microphone voice? <laughs> You're going to be giving advice to no, Vin Diesel. I'm doing, I'm doing the voice of every person in the audience I can hear during one of these screenings. Right. And I mean the people who sit through 90 minutes of absolute boredom and then at the end turn around saying the broadest Yorkshire accent imaginable. Don't we rate scary, that? No, no, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. You're an idiot. It's not. That's why you kept looking at Facebook every five minutes. You... <laughs> that actually happened. That did actually happen. I'm not surprised. I've been working in cinema for six years. <laughs> I've seen that happen. It's the only film franchise where you excuse people for being on their phones because you could understand them being that bored. Yeah. No. Okay. So what you've got this time around is yet another family who have moved into a house, which it transpires is the house that Katie and oh. God, I forget the name. I don't think it matters. The, the, the two girls, the two little girls his grandmother had in Paranormal Activity 3, mm. uh, which was the period piece one. And now it's years later. The house was destroyed, has now been rebuilt. Family have moved in. While they are unpacking, they discover, would you not know it, a box of old VHS tapes and a camcorder. But oh. here's where it gets interesting, Case. The camcorder has the ability to see through dimensions. It will show you ripples in the fabric of death and life. It will show you like creatures from other dimensions in like wibbly wobbly form, and yeah. this is shown to us through through three D. That's even better than like an IMAX camera, that, isn't it? <laughs> Just... <laughs> you, you you see these things through three D as well. That's the three D effect is yeah. the, the wibbly wobbly black smoke kind of stuff, and uh, it transpires as well that the other side, which is you know the the girls in the past, their ghosts are in fact our heroes in the present, but our heroes in the present have ghosts of their own who are in fact the girls in the past. Do you see the... the I, sort of, I see the it. Uh, yeah. So this is Paranormal Activity 5, and we're... Well, actually 6, technically. And we're looping back to 3, because... Are we, are we including the Mexican one? I can't remember. Oh, yeah. You forgot that even existed. Yeah, and... and marked ones, was the, it? The marked, the marked ones, ones. Yes. Marked for racist humour, yes. That was, that was, that was it. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> it was. It was one of the most... Uninten- yeah. it, was, it was an unintentional race, uh, race, racial satire. That's what it was. Mm. And uh, now, so yes, so we have a clip. Katie... Christy, I want you to concentrate. Concentrate. I need you to concentrate. She's like in some sort of like trance state or something. They're inducing a trance in it. Where'd you get this? From a box of like 80 VHS tapes the old homeowners left in the basement. This tape is like 20 years old. Tell me what you see. I think I see two men. What are your names? Ryan. Mike. We're the Fleege brothers. Brothers? Daddy, I can't sleep. What's going on? I hear noises in my room. You hear noises in your room? Okay, well, Daddy will go up and make sure everything's... So that is, that is the clip of our heroes in the present watching video footage of the past and having interactions with it as it on goes, as it goes on. As in, okay. someone sneezes in the present, they hear it in the past on the video. What do you know? So, yeah, okay. So, I mean, I'll be honest, I was hoping for some kind of great Final Destination 5. Am I saying Final Destination 5? Is it 5? Final Destination 5. 5-0. Uh, five, five, 
Five Five Null Destination. I say it was written on a poster. Oh, brilliant. I was hoping for some sort of Final Destination 5 loop around where it all came together and Mm. suddenly everything made sense. And that's why we had to sit through uh, through Final Destination 3. You know, I was hoping for some sort of great loop. Um, You don't get that, really. There is arcing back to the third film. But to be fair, after having sat through five of these, who's remembering them? I mean, it was difficult enough to remember them when they were one a year. We've now yeah. had, isn't it, 18 months off, I think we've had now, something yeah, like that. something like that. And the only thing I remember about any of these, I remember the third one, so Paramount 4, sorry, was the one where they started trying to brand everything through Microsoft, so Skype and the Connect. <laughs> yeah. And we got to see what evil looks like through the eyes of Microsoft's Connect. I remember the trailer. Do you yeah, remember the trailer? Yeah, for that? Yeah. And then we had uh, the, the 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 what I keep referring to as the Mexican one, where they had spinning chihuahuas on ceilings and everybody ate tortillas. Yep. And and it had my favourite moment, my favourite ever moment in a horror movie, in which two cholos. <laughs> That's <laughs> the best way to, best way to use the term cholos, cholos. Responded to the presence of supernatural <laughs> supernatural threats by whipping out shotguns and saying, "Cap this fool!" <laughs> oh, no. I oh. need to see that. You can say it was so bad, yeah. so so bad. But uh, right, this uh, this continues the paranormal activity tradition of being marginally better. They they do get marginally better each and every time. Although not one of them still comes anywhere near qualifying as a halfway decent movie. They're all varying shades. Even, even of the one. first one. Even the first one. I'm sorry, but yeah. no. Because it's one of those it's one of those franchises like Saw, but people always say, oh, the first one was quite good. I I kind of disagree with that. I, I too disagree. Um, no, I mean, I, I like Saw, I must say. I, yeah, I, I like yeah. the Saw franchise. Um, if this had had even one film half as good as any of the Saw movies, I would have been very happy. However, it doesn't. Although, I mean, we have to point out, there is a sort of loop around with Saw in one sense, because like Saw, this ends with a 3D entry in the franchise. And unlike Saw, it actually does something halfway decent mm. with its uh, with its 3D. This actually manages to use the 3D effect rather immersively, rather well. It's mm. never quite explained why this family have a 3D camcorder, but yeah, I, I'll, I'll let it go. That, that would be my main question. Would yeah, be, yeah. I'll let it go. Dad's a bit of a hipster. It's fine. <laughs> Dad, Dad's a bit of an early adopter type. It's fine. You know. Oh, this is the other thing because the story makes you know no sense as none of these yeah. things ever do. Um, of course not. This franchise has such convoluted mythology that even the Fast and right, the Fast and the Furious franchise are watching it scratching heads um but this film has it's got a comic relief brother character who looks uncannily like todd phillips and i mean really just looks like todd phillips and then they've got because all families have this this gorgeous mid-20s blonde hot pants wearing feng shui expert who just she's just there and we don't know why and she's just called auntie and i don't know why She's, Auntie. she's called Auntie So and So. I don't know why you're here. Um, unlike the rest of the films as well, by the way, this one does drop the ball when it comes to the effects purely by going full on cartoony, like Roger Rabbit cartoony <laughs> at the end. It it looks like hand drawn two D animation. It's it's ridiculously garish and mm. and sort of I say just jarring. Yeah, it is yeah. given the rest, given what you're accustomed to with mm. this franchise. Um, this is uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the director this time around. Uh, he is the editor of the series. He has been given the shot of directing the finale, which tells you how this process has worked out, doesn't it? That uh, we've gone from hey, you know, if one directs this one, then the writer directs the next one, and now, then, now we're at the editor. editor. Yeah. If this had carried on another two movies, we would have had the catering department yeah. in on the act. T boy. 
Yeah, the T-boy would genuinely have fallen on the ice after a while. Gregory Plotkin is the name of the series editor. Gregory Plotkin. And wouldn't Plotkin. You know, That's a Plotkin. great surname. I could do Friedkin, but I'd rather do Plotkin. Plotkin. <laughs> but uh, no, it is demonstrable rubbish, as all these films yeah, are. It's it's not terribly scary. It's, I, I don't think this one even goes for jump scares. I was going to say, has it got any jump scares? I don't think this one even goes for that. That's why I don't watch these kind of films generally, because I just hate it when people get scared super, super like, easily and just... Uh, there's somebody in the door. I'm like, yeah. No, I will tell you, strong. though, I will tell you, though, I ran into a mutual friend of ours who shall remain nameless on the will way... Will I be able to guess who it is? Probably off a list of about three, you would, yes. Um, when, who I, I, I ran into on the way into the screen and then afterwards was told this person's uh, response was, uh, well, it was... It was good and scary, but... It's not scary, though. But never mind. Do you know what? Who cares, though, Case? We're missing the silver lining here. It's What's done. That? It's over. This is the last. Is of... it definitely the last one? Well, does, does it wrap everything? It is air quote officially the last in the Paranormal Activity series. Although <laughs> that doesn't mean anything, I'm going to eat. It? I'm going to eat my words in two or three years' time when Paranormal Activity Seven: Mission to Moscow opens. <laughs> but until then, you know what? We survived. Case. We made we it. Did it. We made it we through made six it. of these buckers. Six of them. It's over. We can we can take on anything now. We can bring me more Transformers. I you know what? You can throw up. as many Transformers sequels as you like at me now, because you know what? <laughs> There's one less god awful franchise to have to suffer. Boom. With the latest film news and reviews, this is off screen. And we're back. So, shall we? Uh, shall we start with the box office top ten then, case before we crack on with the final two reviews? Yeah, let's do it. Number ten. We have Everest. Everest, she's dropped pretty quickly, hasn't it? Mm. It sort of come, came and went, that one, hasn't it? Yeah, I think there's other films to watch in the IMAX. I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, it, like I say, I mean, I keep saying this. I wanted Vertical Limit. I got the perfect storm. Mm. Uh, I keep coming back to the runtime issue with it, which is it's a two-hour film. It's an hour and ten, hour and fifteen, before you get to the inciting mm. incident. That's a, a lot of character development yeah. for a film which largely then takes place in a blizzard, and you can't really tell anyone apart. And that's, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, the same mm. thing of, you know, wasted female characters. Uh, I mean, Balthazar Cormica does a decent enough job directorially with it, and I can see why it's an IMAX spectacle, because visually it's a very impressive film, but it is a very visually impressive disaster movie with certain caveats, and those caveats are worth considering if you're, if you're debating whether or not to throw down your 15 quid. Number nine. Brand new, uh, The Lobster, which I haven't seen. I really, really want to see it. I have not seen it either, so this is going to be very short. Yeah. I haven't seen it either. I hear very, very good things. So do I. Such a so. great like setup. It's a great story for it. Great cast as well. Well, tell you what, we'll have a look next Wednesday. If it's in the top ten, yeah. I think you and I should we should we should belt this one out. Definitely. Number eight. The intern. The intern, which I like very much, although it's one of those films that has hints of something larger. If you've seen the yeah. trailer, you know the moment in the trailer in which she says, uh, "How have we gone from you know gentlemen like Harrison Ford in in, in a generation yeah. like this?" And you're like, "Okay, there's something to say there." But unfortunately, the film doesn't say much on those kind of themes. Mm. It goes along the more traditional Nancy Myers type. It, does, does it really need to say any more? It's just it's one of those. It it does what it sets out to do, mm. but it, occasionally it hints just that like it a light could breezy. do other things. Mm. It's like hiring an electrician and then finding out he's actually also a master sculptor but you know I mean he doesn't sculpt anything but he just casually mentions every now and again whilst he's rewiring your house that he's, he's got like a, a BA master. in yeah. sculpturing exactly yeah. 
<laughs> it's kind of like that. And of course, it's got Adam Devine in it. Who Adam Devine? Adam Devine? Let's say Devine. Devine. Adam Devine, uh, who I know from uh, Pitch Perfect and uh, Modern Family, and have recently rediscovered in Workaholics. Which, yeah, it's a great show. It is a great really show. Uh, I think he's very funny in it as well. And there's there's a little nice little supporting cast going on. Hmm. But of course, it's all about Robert De Niro and and Hathaway. And Anne Hathaway is doing that thing she does quite well. But De Niro is awake. That's the thing to bear in mind. First time awake. about four years. Very much so. Number seven. The Scottish film. The Scottish film. Mm. Which you've not seen. I've still not seen. I will hopefully be seeing it soon. I did see another Mark Fassbender film very recently. Was this Mr. Jobs? It was indeed Mr. Jobs. Which, which yeah. Oh, I know. I was getting on. Mm. I tried to tell you were seeing it at that exact moment. Oh, believe me, it killed me inside. Hey, we'll talk about it in a few weeks. But... I, I look forward to it very yeah. much. I think, yeah, I think, I think you will like it. Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm the apple whore of the pair of us. So. Oh, that's it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the Scottish film. Well, the Sunday yeah. Times called it Shakespeare for the Game of Thrones generation. And, uh, Is that accurate? Okay, do you know what? It's actually not far off the mark. I think it's slightly better than that, but... I do think, as I've said to you before, it ultimately comes down to it is the same old product in a slightly newer package. And no matter what packaging sort of comes in, it's still the same product. And whether or not you like that product is not really changed by the packaging in this case. Number six. Sicario. You loved this, didn't you? I loved this. And it has dropped really quickly in its second week, which, which I'm not terribly surprised at because it's not a crowd yeah, pleaser. Yeah, that's true, yeah. It is an amazing thriller, but it's not mm. a crowd pleaser. No. Um, and I think uh, Del Toro will get some caveats in sort of pop culture, I think, for it. He will, it will further cement the idea of the ruthless Benicio Del Toro hitman type. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's, it's not got much in the way of mainstream appeal. I think it is a genuinely brilliant thriller, though, from Denis Villeneuve. I believe. I always say that. Uh, yeah. Who works e- excellently in tandem with uh, cinematography by Richard uh, Richard Roger, Roger Deakins. Roger, Deakins. <laughs> Roger. <laughs> Roger, not Richard Deakins. Number five. Crimson Peak, Mr. Del Toro. Yeah, it's kind of strange this one's uh, open so low, but you mm, know, it's five. not got an awful lot to sell it, really. I mean, the general public don't tend to know who Guillermo del Toro is, really, and Tom Hiddleston's mm. hardly a household name outside of, you know, Loki. Loki's more of a household it, name yeah. than Tom Hiddleston is. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. I think this might pick up in half term, maybe half term, maybe mm-hmm. when when it is Halloween. I think so. I think it is something chill, that a lot yeah. of people would say for Halloween. Absolutely, and yeah. I think that they'd, they'd be uh, they'd, they'd be served well in doing so. I think it is a, a good old fashioned, you know, good old fashioned family horror film, except you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. Rated <Rekha> Fifteen, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like the good old days. Um, <laughs> it is uh, it is Del Toro doing that thing that Del Toro does in that classic Universal horror slash Hammer element. Yeah. Um, it doesn't quite do for that genre what Pacific Rim did for Toho. Yeah. But, you know, it's enjoyable enough, it is funny enough, it is slightly too predictable for its own good, but Tom Hiddleston's a lot of fun in it, Del Toro's <laughs> on form, what's not, not a lot from that? Number four. And he's still on Mars, the Martian. <laughs> good old Matt Damon. <laughs> he's still farming those, those spuds. <laughs> still farming them spuds. <laughs> well, this, so far, is one of my favourite films of this year. Hands down, it's it's a film I keep, and I think it's a film as well that's going to get some pop culture recognition. You know, like oh, I mean, in future, yeah, definitely. In, in, in future years, I think it will become a go-to pop culture reference. Like, yeah. You know how Wilson became a, a pop culture reference <laughs> being stranded. I think yeah. potatoes will go down the same route, definitely, yeah. uh, for the same way. And uh, I think it deserves to be. Like I say, it's Ridley Scott's best film for a long, long time. I, I think would, we're agreed on that. Yeah, I would not be surprised if he gets a nomination. You um, think? Yeah, but I, I think it's going to be one of those things where, like, because. He's he's never won, so I won't be surprised if he wins for us. Because they like awarding the big technical, <laughs> Do you think like like Alfonso Cuarón and 
This will be his departed. It's like, yeah. we, we owe you one for all those years. Have it for the one that's basically entertaining. That's it, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what it will be. And you know what it deserves to be? It's got a hell of a cast, a hell of a story, a hell of a script, actually. Yeah, Drew Goddard. Drew Goddard has some good work Smashed on it. this. Um, and also, a hell of a soundtrack. And who'd have thought that one? Mm. Number three. This film does not have a good soundtrack. What is it? Pan. Oh no, no, Pan does not have a good soundtrack. It, nor here, good... Here, here we are now, entertainers. <laughs> not. <laughs> well, my thought was, hey, ho, let's go. Oh, oh no. Joey Ramone is no. rolling around in his yeah. giant six foot five grave. That, that's basically it, yeah. yeah. Oh dear God, this is a terrible, terrible film. This is one of those films that in years to come, I think even Joe Wright will look back on and good God, good Lord, what was I thinking? You know that yeah. uh, Joel Schumacher interview in which he basically apologises. Oh, so sorry, yeah, yeah. Yeah, for Batman and Robin. I think Joe Wright may do something similar after this because this is a stinker of a film mm. and no everyone it, in it is terrible yeah. the script's terrible uh, the, the direction's sort of half-hearted once it actually gets to Neverland which once is once it gets to Neverland it's like Joe Wright isn't there <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's like some studio guy just took over kind of is yeah. and yeah and Garrett Hedlund what the hell were you thinking awful <laughs> awful performance I'm hook kid how can I help <laughs> You know? Shut up, Carl <laughs> Just yeah. All I got left was my bones. <laughs> you know? But no, it is. This is hands down. I think one of the worst films of the year. Surely, like it, it must be. Must be one of the biggest kind of disappointments. Because, but the trailers, I think, set it up quite nicely. The trailers sold it quite well. It did feel needless, even in the trailers. But I think I don't think any of us saw the trailers. And that's going to be one of the year's biggest stinkers. Yeah. But here we are now, and. You're not going to entertain us. Number two. Suffragette. Kay Mulligan. Suffragette. Did entertain me, surprisingly. It did entertain yeah. I, I like Suffragette. I know some people have been quite down on it. And again, Sunday Times did not <laughs> like it. <laughs> We're just going to be bad about them every week now. No, I like Carilla. I like Carilla very much. And uh, she, she and I like that she has her opinions and she sticks to them and she, she backs them up with mm. at least sound reasoning. I and think she, you need to do that. She yeah. didn't like Suffragette. Now, I okay. did. Um, because I think Suffragette, for me, is a film that it is that bystander to history angle. I like the fact that it's not a wholehearted drama about the suffragettes. It's mm. about one woman's struggle that happens to coincide with the suffragette. Yeah, movement. it's one, not about Emily Pankhurst. It's, it's yeah. not about Emily Pankhurst. It's about Maud Watts. And, yeah. and I like that about it. And I like Kerry Mulligan's performance in it, although one of these days I would pay good money to see Kerry Mulligan smile. Just once. Just just once. If there's a director out there who thinks he, who wants a challenge, just construct she a She might film. have smiled in an education. No, no, I don't think so, surely. Just the piece has got buys her a car. She must smile. But he's still carrying muggers. She wouldn't smile if he bought her a car. I mean, as I say, if the director is up to the challenge, it's going to have to be a period piece, obviously. Joe um, <laughs> Wright. Get, get Joe Wright back up to form and yeah. get her... There you go, Joe Wright. You want to redeem yourself in our eyes. Make a, make a film in which Kerry Mulligan smiles. Um, but she's very, very good at it, as is uh, Helena Bonham Carter, as is Meryl Streep, whose cameo is so perfectly timed. In this, and it is a cameo. Let's not yeah. mince words on Inbo, it. Inbo, she's on the main poster. She's got main billing. Of it. It's a cameo. It's, it's Judy Dench in Shakespeare in Love. It's a cameo. And probably get an Oscar. Oh, don't get me wrong. Well, June has got an Oscar for eight yeah, minutes exactly. worth of work. This, this will get an Oscar. This, this will get Oscar on. The film will. Mm. Uh, I think Meryl Streep will as well. So, uh, no, and I really enjoyed it. I was gripped. I was moved. I was disheartened at times. And I really loved that cinematography as well. 
which I forget. Yeah, you, the guy you who did it up buried. As well. He did buried. Yeah, and I remember thinking, oh, buried just comes up every week, buried, doesn't it? Yeah. Good old buried. Number one. And the drag pack is back. At the one. <laughs> the drag pack, pack is back. Is that actually a marketing slogan? Or yeah, it is. Yeah, okay, so it I didn't is, just yeah. pull that out of my ass. It is actually no. Like, it was on. Yeah, it was. It might have been one of the posters for the first film. I think. You know, I, I, came, I when I sort of came up with it in 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 something I was writing, I remember feeling really bad about myself. I was like, "Oh God, I feel like I need to shower after coming out of that awful pun." And then, then, and then it got pointed out to me, "Yeah, that's actually a marketing thing." Like, oh dear God, it. okay, I'm I'm redeemed. Fantastic. <laughs> I thought I was turning into John Marsby for a second there. <laughs> that's the kind of awful pun he would come out yeah. with. But, but, um, um, yeah, you really, really enjoyed. Besides, I've seen I the first Hotel Transylvania. Not so second. I've not seen the second one. I really enjoyed the first one. I think you will enjoy the second. It it, it is on par with the first. Very much so. It's mm. very much on par. And it's got it's one of those that builds on the successful elements of the first film and adds enough in the way of new material as well That's through good. the creation of, for instance, Denis or Denisovich. And, <laughs> Denisovich. <laughs> and you get to see more of the characters that you like and, and more facets, particularly to Drac, for instance, because mm. you had the whole uh, story arc in the first movie was about he feared, he was an overprotective father and he feared yeah. losing his daughter. And now he's a grandfather. He's the other way around. He's the reckless one, <laughs> and his daughter is the overprotective one. And you think that's just kind of that's a, a nice, good change. That's a good twist. That kind of works. And the fact that it's a classically Lugosi-style Dracula just adds to the comedic element, which then gets bolstered, of course, by the addition of Mel Brooks <laughs> as, as Vlad, as Vlad, which is fantastic for me. And like, like we pointed out last week, I didn't notice that uh, Keegan Michael Key had replaced CeeLo Green. Yeah, he, he does uh, good CeeLo, and he does. He does, in fact, do a good sealer. So hats off to you, Mr. Key. So shall we do some uh, some more film news before we carry on? We have, of yeah. course, got, uh, got some very sad news. We um, certainly do. Um, so uh, there was a local um, uh, film historian and movie buff that was uh, quite well-renowned in just, the area. Can I just point out as well, now, I, I didn't know him personally, okay. but I crossed paths with him about 3,000 times. Yeah. Said hello to him he in passing. Would, yeah. Did, didn't really know his story, didn't know him, but yeah. I... I sort of crossed paths with him and said hello to him occasionally, and that was it. And when I, it's one of those things when you find out who he's like, oh wow, that's, that's that guy. Yeah, yeah it's that guy. Okay. Okay. So his name was uh, Doctor Clifford Shaw. He uh, was part of a uh, I don't know what the title of the film society was, but it was like a local film society. Hmm. And he was a local film historian. Uh, went to the Sheffield uh, Doc Fest. He did. I knew this of him. Year. And uh, I used to work at Cineworld Sheffield and would see him like yourself. Yeah. Every single week. Every, every single Friday, week, yeah. he was in every film. And yeah. I remember running into him in a preview of Despicable Me 2 once. <laughs> really? <laughs> and him being strangely excited about it. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, I remember being in a screen room at uh, the showroom hmm. a good couple of years ago. It was a screener of uh, The Deer Hunter in yeah. 35mm, and he did a small talk beforehand. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, that was absolutely fascinating. But um, yeah, fantastic gentleman. We will be sorely missed. Yeah. Dr. Clifford Shaw then passed away this week. So on to different news then. Alec Baldwin's got a new film. How has he? It's a bit of a, bit of a come down after that really, isn't it? Lovely. Alec Baldwin's got a new film. Uh, it's not going to be as fun as his turn in Mission Impossible. But uh, he's, he's reteaming with Demi Moore. Oh, really? Yeah, he is. Reteaming with Demi Moore. Uh, Michael Mailer's independent drama, Blind, it's called. And uh, this is going to be the story of Alec Baldwin as a, uh, a novelist, an author who is blinded in a car accident which kills his wife, only to then begin a relationship with a married woman, played by Demi Moore, okay. through which he discovers, rediscovers, sorry, his lust for life and writing. 
So it could go wrong. Could work. Really right. Could work. Uh, <laughs> pointless news of the week. New Line are moving forward on a sequel to Annabelle. Why? I, I don't know. <laughs> who who are the people who liked Annabelle? Where are they? Where have they dug up these people? Like, I would imagine uh, the house underneath the paranormal activity. <laughs> <laughs> they were buried on the land. Yeah. Seems, yeah, that kind of adds up. So, should we move on to our next review? Then, what have we got? Okay, coming up now, uh, Black Panther: uh, Vanguard of uh, Revolution. Vanguard. Of, well, this is the latest from Stanley uh, Stanley Nelson, uh, documentary maker who specialises, it seems, in Black American history. To which you think, okay, fair enough, Interest, always always a topic you could mine a good documentary from. And of course, naturally enough, he has now turned his attention to the Black Panther Party. Is it the Black Panther Party? The Black Panther organisation? I think they refer to it as the party. It's the party, yeah. So this is, this is a documentary which takes us from the very, the very beginnings of, the formation of the Black Panther Party, through to its, uh, not so much, well, its downfall and its dissolution. I don't think it was ever really properly dissolved, but it's, it's sort of fading away, and the aftermath of its decay. Mm. Uh, here's a clip made up of the trailer, incidentally. The Black Panthers. Black Panthers. Black Panther Party. Black Panther Movement. The Black Panthers were absolutely unique. Being black in America meant that you didn't walk down the street with the same sense of safety and the sense of privilege as a white person. Attack dogs, fire hoses. Police jump on you, beat you up, put the gun at your head. This is what we were going through on a daily basis. We stand on the eve of a black revolution, brothers. Now we have voices within the community that we're not going to continue to turn the other cheek. Black Panther's vanguard of the revolution there. And right, I have to say on this film, this is one of the most entertaining documentaries you're going to have seen in a long, long time. This is this is like watching a Best Picture winner waiting to be adapted. <laughs> and you, you watch the film and you think, how has there never been a straight mainstream movie on this? Because you wouldn't even need to change there, there the script. Been. No, there have been, Something... been films that have intersected with it. And I was talking to Greg Bird the other day, yeah. and I was telling him, he said, what, 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 what films have you seen this week? And I said, oh, I've seen this. Then. Oh, and Black Panther, Vanguard the Revolution. He said, how was that? And I went, well, if, if, like me, you went into the film and all you knew of the Black Panthers was that single scene in Forrest Gump, then, <laughs> then, then you're going to learn a lot. <laughs> Which, yeah, it's an exaggeration, because obviously this is the thing. We have our knowledge of the Black Panthers through various different films, period Mm. piece cinema, things like Malcolm X, things like that. We glean different aspects of it. It's nice to have it all in one place for a change. And we get the story of the Black Panthers from their beginnings as a private defence group, effectively. They were a civilian defence group. The idea was it was legal for them to carry firearms in public. So they would turn up on the streets, and when they saw a, uh, a, a white police officer accosting a uh, black civilian, they would simply stand by, hands neatly folded, guns sticking out prominently, and they would effectively silently intimidate the police yeah. into behaving. Do you think, okay, that's kind of a, 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 a neat idea. I've never it would heard work. It, <laughs> it would work. I'd never heard it laid out like that before. And, uh, and of course, then it spirals into um, social programs, things like they have a, a breakfast program for kids, and they have uh, you know charity drives, things like that. And then, of course, the fractures begin to form within the organisation as certain members are sent to prison, certain members get ideas above their station and as we're told at the very very beginning of the film, by the end of it no one quite knew which party they were a member of and 
that in one way signifies a very big problem with the film because the film picks a standpoint early on. This is effectively a charitable organisation that sort of went off the rails. That's the idea it goes with. And it doesn't really add much more to that narrative. It kind of wants to stick with that narrative. I think you're you're ignoring certain other aspects. It's, apparently there were over 50 people interviewed, but only 30 appear in the film. And the film constantly begs the question of exactly what those other 20 people had that didn't make it into the film. What kind of perceptive twist they may have added to Nelson's narrative. Now, the film has some great characters, some absolutely brilliant <laughs> characters in there. I mean, it's got um, you know a lot of archival footage, for instance, of Huey Newton, mm. um, Eldridge Cleaver, who was effectively... <laughs> Eldridge Cleaver gets described at one point as... I'm going to paraphrase it because I can't say the full version on air. Okay. I'm going to paraphrase it as he does get referred to as insane. And <laughs> in a way that just will have you absolutely howling. And that's the thing as well. The film is very, very funny. You wouldn't really? think it. This is a I funny think that. You wouldn't think it. It's a funny film. There's a lot of humour in it. But it goes into areas, albeit briefly, that you don't quite expect it to. It, for instance, highlights the uh, the pop culture influence of the Black Panthers. They influenced fashion. The, the, the fact that, yeah. uh, uh, that pigs became slang for police, that originated with oh, the Black that. Panthers, apparently. Um, the Black Panthers' attitude to gender politics is quite interesting as well. For instance, they they uh, they featured more women in powerful positions and men mm. made the breakfast and things like that. That's really interesting. They were also a, fa- say a fashion influence. Uh, you know, the leather, the afro, mm. and stuff like that. They the were... Exactly, they were more of an influence than we really give them credit for, I think. And there's a lot of stuff in there that you just really had never never considered. But also, it does work as a straight history lesson, albeit you do feel that some liberties have been taken. I'm not sure exactly what, but you can't help but feel throughout that there's some slight liberties being taken. It is also noticeable that no one really attached to Eldridge Cleaver... Uh, aside from his wife, no one really speaks up, I think, for Eldridge Cleaver, which I find very, very odd. Mm. Um, Say, it's got a kick-ass soundtrack, (laughs) naturally enough. (laughs) You would expect that. It has got a great soundtrack. It's got a neat little appearance from uh, Ronald Reagan as well that you you can't help but love. And uh, if you know nothing of the Black Panthers, and I wouldn't say I knew nothing, I'd say I knew very little... Mm. You know, you'll learn some stuff. If you know a lot about the Black Panthers, you know, there's a nice sort of nostalgic revisionist sort of element to it. Uh, but if you're just looking for an entertaining documentary, look no further. This is a lot of fun. It. I mean, it shows you some absolutely horrible things, but there is some surprising fun in there. It's a PBS documentary, so I imagine it'll be on Netflix in about 20 minutes. But mm. <laughs> uh, it is definitely one to watch. So, some more film news before we move on to our final yes, review of the week. Oh, Joe Dante's got a new film. Have you heard of this? Really? No, I haven't heard about this. Joe Dante's got a new film. This is going to be, wouldn't you know it, a supernatural thriller. <laughs> go, <laughs> it's kind of in his wheelhouse, isn't it? Go, go figure on this one. It's going to be called, I'm going to, I'm going to pronounce this, Labyrinthus. Labyrinthus, okay. I think. Labyrinthus. <laughs> so that's Joe Dante has a new film. Let us enjoy that one. Uh, meanwhile, Jason and the Argonauts is getting a remake. Because, of course it is. Because dot 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 money. Uh, yeah. Uh, you because know, potential franchise. Because, because yeah. Paramount need a franchise and Hercules didn't work out. 
don't know, maybe that. Um, Let's see what else we've got now. Uh, oh, Back to the Future Day. We had that this week. We did, Did yeah. you watch any of the films? Uh, I watched number two. I watched number three. Did you really? <laughs> you see, I would, I would be controversial and say number three is my favourite. Really? Yeah. Number three I watched only because it's the one of the three that I've seen the least. I've only seen oh, number right. three about three dozen times. So <laughs> <laughs> I would say number three is my favourite just because it was my favourite as a kid. And hmm. um, I just loved a good western when I was a kid. Oh, my favorite has always been the second uh, yeah. because I love because I love the time travel. Well, they bit. are all great. But... Uh, I love the whole parallel universe timeline. Uh, Jaws nineteen is my is my favorite. Jaws nineteen is a great joke. Yeah. And uh, did you? I think I'm trying to remember, one of the one of the picture houses I believe actually put it up as a, on their sign that they were showing oh, really? Max Landis not Max Landis. Uh, Max Spielberg, yeah. uh, Jaws 19, yeah. Excellent. But uh, yes, yeah, so Back to the Future Day uh, well, turned out to be a bit of a profit churner for uh, Universal. Mm. Do you know how much it pulled in? No, how much? Worldwide, Back to the Future Day earned Universal $4.8 million. That's a good little earner, isn't it? That's not a bad little... The film has been out for 30 years. The film has been out for 30 years. It's still got some clout, it seems. Fantastic. So yeah, fair play to them. Uh, meanwhile, okay, Walt Disney, final bit of news. Walt Disney have announced their own on-demand, UK-only streaming service. It's going to be called Disney Life. It's not going to mm. feature Marvel or Star Wars. That's, oh, really? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Possibly because those are part of their deal with Netflix, perhaps? So, presumably they're going to pull the Disney classics and all the stuff we're going to have with Netflix. I don't know. I, I thought those were part of the deal with Netflix, but... Who knows? They've got some crazy stuff on with they Netflix. I they've, they've got all the like fifties and sixties like crazy live action. They've not got Song of the South though, have they? No, but I think there's a reason for that. <laughs> it's never Song of the South, is it? You've just watched a Black Panther film. Why would you want to That's watch very Song true, of the actually. South? Although Dumbo, I think, is more racially insensitive oh, than uh, than Song of the South. <laughs> but okay, so one final review then. Uh, Paper Planes, is it? Yeah, it's Paper Planes. Okay, so Paper Planes, which is this uh, very sweet little Australian uh, family drama. So a family drama with a tinge of comedy to it stars Ed Oxenbold and Sam Worthington and Terry Norris and Ed Oxenbold you might remember as and he's actually credited on the poster as being the star of Alexander the Terrible Horrible No Good Very Bad Day which yes I can say that three times fast <laughs> Sam Worthington Avatar <laughs> oh wait is this the, is this the bad rapper kid this is the bad, this is rapper, the bad rapper kid, kid from The Visit yes now, first and foremost I should point out he's Australian I did not know I that. did not know that. That kid's good with an accent, isn't, isn't he? he? Take note, Jude Law. Yeah, take note, Jude Law. This kid, this this 12-year-old kid is kicking your ass, Jude Law. <laughs> and so Ed Oxenbold plays uh, Dylan. Ed Oxenbold plays Dylan, who is uh, a young boy who's recently uh, overcome the death, the unexpected death of his mother. His father has overcome it less successfully, we shall say, his father being Sam Worthington. And one day at school, Dylan discovers that he <laughs> has a natural gift for throwing paper airplanes, as you do, okay. to the extent that he could actually be a world record holder. He is then swiftly entered into the World Paper Aeroplane Championships. That doesn't exist. No, no, that does exist. I looked into you it. You looked it up. I looked into it. It does exist. And believe me, when you see it in the context of this film, it is the only sporting event you have ever seen that lasts less time than it takes Ronda Rousey to knock out an opponent. Because literally, these, <laughs> kids, yeah, these kids just rock oh. up to a line and throw an airplane at the same exact moment and then the event's over. I think that the world is a much brighter place now that... I know that. I think so. If you want me to be really technical, I can look at what the actual record is for you. Yeah. But uh, yeah, so 
It's a family drama then. Young boy wants to, you know, he wants to drag his dad out of uh, out of depression, but also he wants to be the world paper airplane championship. Uh, championship champion. champion. Here's a clip. Where have you been? At the paper playing competition, which was today. Maybe I should have put on one of the old videos that you're always watching. To go on my own and I always miss the bus. I tried to wake you, but... But what? You just decided to take money from my wallet. Yeah, to buy a bus ticket. Oh, well, you're grounded. Eh? I did it because you wouldn't wake One up. One week. My medic through the finals, if you're interested. Great. The next week in Sydney. So it is worth pointing out that this is... Uh, you know how we say that Robert De Niro's awake in uh, The Intern? Yeah. Sam Worthington's awake in this. No way. <laughs> Sam Worthington comes... Out of uh, the Avatar cryosleep. Sam Worthington comes out damn near likeable by the end of this film. No. But remember back in about t- 2009, 2010, when we kept getting told that Sam Worthington was a movie star and none of us could quite believe it? Yeah, because Clash of the Titans. Because Clash of the Titans, yeah. Rogue, Avatar... Terminator. Terminator. Yeah, I like Man on a Ledge. I like Man on a Ledge very much as That's well. Good. I don't think it's because of him. <laughs> no, I do think he could have been replaced by Jai Courtney and the movie would have been just about as good. But yeah. We'll wait for like the follow-up when he plays his brother. Yeah, we'll yeah. wait for that. Which movie, when, when is Jai Courtney going to play Sam Worthington's brother and put an end to this crisis once and for I've all? I've never seen him in the same room at the same time. Uh, I've not either. I think they are secret. The mm. same. Yeah, I wearing think a mask. I think yeah. it is. I think it's like the uh, it's like a Mission Impossible style. Mask. Oh, I was going to say it was like Voldemort in the first Harry Potter movie where he can turn his head round. Oh, and it's... Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's wearing a turban. <laughs> it's Sam Worthington in a turban and he's dry Courtney on the back. Anyway, yeah. back to paper planes. So Sam Worthington's very, very good in this film. Very likable, uh, very endearing, a solid dramatic performance from mm. in a sort of family mm. film context. Ed Oxenbold, very endearing child star, but of course maximum props to Terry Norris as the granddad and. I, I fixate on him because he is a very integral point in describing the tone and humour of Paper Planes, which is it's very much a film for kids to watch with their grandparents. It kind of works on that level. It is an all-round family film, but it does have some of that grandparent humour. Mm. There is a moment in which it's not so subtly implied that Grandad has been boning most of the fellow residents of his nursing home, but it's done in this charming, family-friendly Australian way that you can't help but smile at and admire. Maya. Um, I do think it's a really funny, really charming, really sweet little film. Um, adorable would be the best way to describe it. Sounds it sounds adorable. And uh, that's it. I mean, it has flaws. I mean, the bully character in the film is really woefully uh, poorly written, mm. but also overplayed. So the end result is something akin to uh, sort of Tom Felton's Harry Potter sort of character. You know what? It went yeah, yeah. a little bit panto. Mm. Very much the case here. And then David Wenham turns up. No way. So, yeah, Faramir turns up as a pro <laughs> golfer, and he's in this film for apparently no reason, uh, other than he's just worked with the director an awful lot. <laughs> and this is Robert Conley directing, who's a sort of not really a not internationally known, but he is quite a sort of consistent Australian director. Mm. And he, he works, say he's worked a lot with uh, David Wenham, and you see it in the film, you're like, okay, I can kind of, this has the feel of. I'll get the gang back together and we'll do a film together kind of thing because he's worked with Ed Oxenbold as well and it feels like I'll just get my, my cast my mates my on pals. the casting yeah. and we'll make, make a paper airplane movie <laughs> and it was released in 3D overseas when you see it in 2D in the UK because it's only in 2D in the UK mm. you can tell what will or not have been 3D and actually I would have been intrigued 
to have Season seen three. it in three D. Um, because obviously it's paper airplanes. Yeah. Kind of I'm surprised that it was a three D release. But I don't know. You can make anything. We had this a year ago it, with uh, T S Pivot. Oh, of course, when, yeah. Because I I saw that at a distributor show with Chris Wilson. We saw it in three D. And I declared it to be the best use of 3D technology since Gravity. It was then released by Intent One in the United Kingdom in 2D. So, yeah. I'd only shown up the showroom in Sheffield, so... Make it that way you want. But no, I recommend uh, Paper Planes. If you're looking for a good, fun family film, definitely check out Paper Planes. So, in the meanwhile, we've got to pick a film of the week, really, haven't we? We've got to. I'm, I'm going with The Black Panthers. Okay, I am because if I'm going to watch any any of these films again, mm. I'm I'm going to watch the Black Panther one. I think you've sold Mississippi Grind to me. Not that I need you selling it. on you, it. I think yeah. you would love it. Yeah, because that's the thing. I think the idea of a slow burning character drama is very much your thing anyway. That is completely me. It is yeah. completely you, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> that's my, my entire life is a slow burning character drama. <laughs> I, I feel like the only question you have a, you have to ask is: Is there a budget less than five million? Then I'm in. Yeah, if it goes one <laughs> cent over. Yeah, one cent over five million, you have lost my money, sir. Yeah. <laughs> As we start, I have a top-lined a superhero film. That's it, yeah. Well, Ryan Reynolds will but, uh, Well, yes. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Reynolds be on his fourth one next. Is Deadpool's fourth <laughs> one? I think it Well, what, what are we looking at? Blade, Green Lantern... Uh, don't forget Wolverine. Wolverine. Oh, I tried to forget it. Yeah, so this will be his fourth time, but only his third character. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting to know. But yeah, Black Panthers, definitely check out Black Panthers, Vanguard of the Revolution. Uh, damn fine documentary. Uh, very entertaining, uh, very interesting. And uh, the this the behaviour of Eldridge Cleaver will amuse the hell out of you, if not outright terrify you. Uh, so, let's have a look at next week then. So we've got some interesting ones to come next we've week. We've got a pretty big name coming up next we've week. We've got a pretty big name to come up next yeah, week. Yeah, what, what is that name? That name is Under Milk Wood. <laughs> the remake of the Dylan Thomas adaptation. You played me like a fiddle, sir. <laughs> I did. No, no, I kid. That name is in fact... Fresh Dressed, a documentary about the influence of hip-hop on the fashion world. No, no, I, I kid, I kid. Yeah. That name is Black Souls. A crime drop. No, I'm kidding. It is not. It is Taxi Tehran. <laughs> or is it? Is it, in fact, horror movie The Vatican Tapes? It could be that. That'd be a better title could for it, it. Could it be Gay Culture Documentary Do I Sound Gay? By director David Thorpe. Or could it be that little indie film Spectre? Hmm. I think the second to last one. I think the second. I think it's yeah. Do I Sound Gay? Definitely. <laughs> right. Well, it, the thing I thought Daniel about Craig. Was, <laughs> my favourite one is you know when you're talking about Spectre, how many yeah. times are you going to use the word Inspector? Yeah, how many, how many yeah. times? Are you oh, they didn't right? think about that, did they? Yeah. Come on, man. They really what are you doing? But uh, I was like, that's all to come next week off screen. In the meanwhile, pop along to onscreenfilm.com. Go in our competition section. And, uh, well, we've got some interesting goodies to go. We've got the Ed Sheeran stuff to go. Oh, yeah. Signs, signs, DVDs. 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 Great program stuff. We've got all loads of stuff to go and loads of stuff still to come on there Mm. as well. So keep checking back. And uh, as certain competition entrants have proven, you apparently can enter as many times as you like. Hourly, if needs be, and that has actually been attempted. So, <laughs> this... how, how badly do you want that novelty notebook? Yeah, it's, like... it's really true. So, this has been a uh, candy store production for On Screen. I've been Van Connor. My name is Case Allen. And we'll be back next week. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Off Screen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Okay.